Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I begin, on July 26th at 3pm, I'm hosting a Zoom history conference on the White Hurricane of the Great Lakes 1913. This is an amazing story about a terrible storm that roared through the Great Lakes in November of 1913, killing 250 people, sinking 19 ships, and putting two feet of snow on the ground. It's a stunning story. So it'll be a really interesting conference, and you can register by emailing me at craig at canadaehx.com or by going to my website, canadaehx.com, and the cost is $5 or free for my patrons. And you can be a patron for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. The War of 1812 was full of battles that would define Canada for years to come. Some battles went well for Canada. Some did not. Some battles were won, but that win came at a great cost. That is the type of battle we have with the raid on Black Rock. After the Battle of Stony Creek on June 6, 1813, returned the Niagara Peninsula to the British and Canadian control, and ended the attempt by the United States to conquer the western part of the province, the British were feeling brazen in the war and began to conduct raids into the United States. The first raid would be on July 5th at Fort Schlosser, just above Niagara Falls. The raid went extremely well, so a second raid was planned, this time for a place called Black Rock. It was in the early hours of July 11th, 1813, when Lieutenant Colonel Cecil Bishop set out with over 200 men from various regiments in the battalions to cross the Niagara River and land below Black Rock. So, before we go on, a little about Lieutenant Colonel Bishop. He was the heir to his father, Sir Cecil Bishop, the 8th Baronet Bishop of Parkham Park in Sussex, and he had first joined the British Army with the first foot guards as an ensign in 1799. In 1800, he was promoted to a lieutenant, and in 1812, he was a major. From 1811 to 1812, he served as a member of parliament in the British House of Commons for Newport, Isle of Wight, and in 1812 he was then assigned as the inspecting field officer for the Militia of Upper Canada, which earned him the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. It was at Black Rock that the British would meet 50 New York militia under the command of Major Parmenio Adams, who was stationed at the nearby Fort Gibson to guard Black Rock. Adams had started as lieutenant in the light infantry before becoming the captain of the Grenaders and then the division inspector of infantry for the New York State Militia. The British and the Canadians moved with great speed to attack the post. Adams and his men soon fled, allowing Bishop's forces to get to work. They would spike two 12-pounder and two 6-pounder guns at the batteries, steal a 12-pounder and two 9-pounder guns, along with several kegs of ammunition, 177 muskets, and 180 barrels of provisions. They then burned down the barracks and the blockhouse, as well as a ship. The ship was thanks to Captain George Miller, who had participated in several engagements on Lake Erie and lived in the area. During the attack, he went to the harbour and brought the vessel out of its moorings and turned it over to the British. 
Since he was so well known in the area, the guards assumed he was on their side and assisted in cutting the vessel adrift from the dock for him. As soon as that ship was free, it was in the British hands at Black Rock. Before leaving, the British decided to take hundreds of bags of salt, an important commodity in Upper Canada, and it was a decision that would have terrible consequences. Now it had seemed like an overwhelming victory, but Brigadier General Peter B. Porter had a house nearby, and he was also the quartermaster general for the state of New York and was on watch that night. Just getting down to sleep, he would hear several British troops run by. Wearing only his linen nightshirt, he would go out the window, grab a horse, and ride into the evening towards Buffalo to get troops. A few minutes later, Bishop's troops would seize his house. Porter would make it to Fort Buffalo, and he would assemble a force of troops to counterattack. Porter's force consisted of 90 men from Adams Garrison, 50 Buffalo Militia, and 30 Seneca Warriors. And this will be the first time in the war that the Americans use indigenous troops. So let's take a look at Porter. And he was a very interesting man. He had been admitted to the bar in 1793 and began to practice law in New York State, serving as the clerk for Ontario County from 1797 to 1804. In 1802, he was elected to the New York State Assembly, and in 1809, he moved to Black Rock, New York. That same year, he was elected to the United States House of Representatives, and, as a close friend of President James Madison, he was one of the ones who convinced him to take up arms against the British and start the War of 1812. Thanks to the delay of grabbing the salt, the American force was able to ambush Bishop's men in the dark as they were marching along the beach. The British, who were not expecting any more American resistance, were caught completely by surprise. This skirmish lasted 20 minutes, and the British quickly crossed back into Canada with everything they had plundered, but they suffered heavy casualties. According to a report on the raid, published in an issue of The War, an American newspaper, on July 27, 1813, it was stated the following. The enemy, after a contest of 20 minutes, retreated in the utmost confusion to the beach, embarked on several boats, and pulled for the opposite shore. All of the boats got off without injury except the last, which suffered severely from our fire and from appearance. Nearly all the men in her were killed and wounded. One man who died from his injuries was Bishop. Bishop had been shot three times and would die of blood poisoning several days later. The war related its article about Bishop, mistaking his name for Bishop, saying, Colonel Bishop was badly wounded and carried into the boat. In the raid, the British suffered 13 killed, 23 wounded, 4 wounded and missing, and 2 missing. The Americans, for their part, captured 17 prisoners, while losing 3 militia and suffering 6 wounded. The article in the war states the 3 men killed on the American side were, on our side, Sergeant Hartman, Jonathan Thompson, and Joseph Wright, who were killed. One man injured in the battle was Captain William Caulfield Saunders, who had been captured by the Americans. He was mentioned in the war in the issue I had related before, where it stated, Captain Saunders of the British 49th was wounded while stepping into his boat, and he was conveyed to General Porter's house. Years later, he would write about the experience of the raid, and I will highlight some parts of the papers written by him. 
I received a rifle shot in the left side of the chest, which passed out through the right shoulder blade, from which a large stream of blood flowed. When hit, it appeared and struck me at the moment as if a harlequin had stuck with his wand. No sensation. While running from the man who had shot him, who was an indigenous man aiding the Americans, he pointed and ordered a volley on the indigenous man. Pointing to the indigenous man with his arm elevated, a musket ball hit him in his arm, knocking the sword from his hand and leaving his arm, in his words, dangling only by a few sinews. He then fell to the side and injured a rib falling on a tree stump. Captured by the Americans, the general with the Americans ordered his surgeon to deal with the injury to Saunders. He goes on his papers to say, The surgeon attended, cut off my clothes, bound up my wrist, but did not stop the flow of blood from the orifice made in my chest. Don't know whether or not I bled from that or the shoulder bone. The surgeon declared my case hopeless and that I had less than six hours to live. They called again in the evening and told me that a handsome coffin and due honors awaited me. He goes on. I told him to give the coffin to some of my men, as I felt assured of not then requiring it. The wound in the chest from unremitting care and attention closed in about three weeks. The wrist proved more obstinate and continued open for two years, bones constantly exfoliating, and then would close for several months, and bone would again appear. Now before I end this episode... Let's look at the major players who survived the battle. Adams would go on to become the Sheriff of Genesee County from 1815 to 1816, and from 1818 to 1821, he would help build the Erie Canal, and in 1822, he was elected to the United States House of Representatives, serving until 1827. He would pass away on February 19, 1832. For Porter, after the war, he was given command of all of the American forces on the Niagara frontier. From 1815 to 1816, he was the Secretary of State of New York, and from 1828 to 1829, he was the U.S. Secretary of War under President John Quincy Adams. He was also a slave owner with five slaves. His son, also named Peter, would die at the Battle of Cold Harbor during the American Civil War. His grandson, also named Peter, served in the United House of Representatives. I hope you enjoyed that quick look at the raid on Black Rock in 1813. If you did, please give a rating and review. Again, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Canada EHX, and there's tons of benefits to doing so, and you can do so for as little as $3 a month. If you have any questions, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. And if you want, you can see hundreds of articles on Canada's history at CanadaX.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.